may be seated. If we, any children, um, kindergarten to fourth grade, are welcome to um, go to the kids' lesson now, if you'd like. So this morning, um, we're continuing our way uh, through uh, the book of Mark. We're going to be starting at verse 35 uh, this morning, and hopefully my voice will hold out. I, my allergies are going crazy. I don't know if any of the rest of you are enjoying the wonder that is allergies at different seasons. Um, but I'm enjoying that now. So uh, last week, um, as Peter was preaching, he preached through a long day in Jesus's life. It, it started out in the synagogue um, with Jesus teaching like nobody had ever heard. And then suddenly there's this confrontation with this demon-possessed man, uh, which is, of course, followed by the casting out of that demon. Uh, Jesus then ends up going to uh, Peter's house um, and heals his mother-in-law, and then as soon as the sun goes down, everybody shows up at the door, and everybody's lined up, and they're ready to see what Jesus is going to do, um, to see all of the wonders. And, and where we're going to pick up this morning is the next morning, and, and maybe even as we begin to think about it, what we're going to see is how does Jesus respond to a very long, busy day, and what will likely be a busy um, day that day. So let's start reading at verse 35. And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed, and he went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched uh, for him, and they found him, and they said, everyone is looking for you. And he said, let us go on to the next towns, that I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. And he went throughout all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. And a leper came to him imploring him, and kneeling, said to him, if you will, you can make me clean. Moved with pity, he stretched out his hand and touched him and said, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him, and he was made clean. And Jesus sternly charged him. He sternly charged him and sent him away at once and said to him, see that you say nothing to anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded for a proof to them. But he went out and began to talk freely about it and to spread the news so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town, but was in desolate places. And people were coming to him from every quarter. Let's pray. Father, we uh, thank you for this story in the life of Jesus. Uh, we pray that it would help bring us nearer uh, to our Savior to understand him better, to know him more completely and fully. Would you do that work uh, through your word this morning, drawing us near to our Savior, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I don't know where you all go uh, for rest, for relaxation, when you need to just tune out, when you, you need to rest. Um, one of the places that I go, some of you may go to a similar place, but one of the things I love to do is watch a good documentary, and, and usually it's kind of a quirky documentary, okay? I'm not just talking about history, though I enjoy those too, but some of the kind of more quirky documentaries. I was watching one just the other day um, called Hot Dogs, the movie. Um, it's about a guy named Doug. Yes, Marty, thank you. Yes, you've seen it. Um, anyone else? Anyone else? Um, <laughs> you need to go check it out. Um, it's about a guy who runs a hot dog um, restaurant, or ran a hot dog restaurant stand um, in Chicago. It was much more than a stand. It was actual kind of um, sit-down type place. And 
um, became very famous. I mean, people would stand in line for hours to get his hot dogs. Um, everything from just your normal Chicago hot dog to a Fargois hot dog, you know, it's like, and everything in between, just some of the most incredible things you can imagine, and, and it was so popular, and for so many years, and then finally he just posted on Facebook, um, he announced that he's going to take a permanent vacation. I'm going to lie out, and I'm going to go out for lunch, because that looks like fun, that hasn't happened in a while, for a long time, he'd run a restaurant, day in, day out, it had been become exhausting, and in a recent interview, he said, since then, I've become a man of leisure. Um, he doesn't miss that daily grind of trying to run a restaurant, doesn't miss the restaurant that much at all while all these people are missing um, this restaurant. That's how he handled a very busy life and a need for rest. What we want to see this morning as we dive into Jesus' life, he, he had an incredibly busy day. He's about to enter into another incredibly busy day. How does he handle it? What does he do? Verse 35, And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed, and he went out to the desolate place, and there he prayed. And this is how Jesus deals with it. He goes out to a desolate place. Literally, it's the same word that's used a little bit earlier when he goes into the wilderness to be tempted. He goes to a wilderness place, okay? The the same place, if you will, that he was tempted. But do remember that was also the place that what else happened? That the angels ministered. To him, And so he goes to that place um, while it's still very early and it's dark out, and he prayed. He spent time with his father. We see a moment here of intimacy between him and his father. We see his dependence on the father through the work of Holy Spirit. We see what it was that was his fuel. What could refresh him, in a sense, from the previous day and fuel him for the day that he has ahead. Now, we could talk about this, and immediately we could all feel very guilty very fast because we don't get up early enough. We don't spend enough time in prayer, right? Um, But I think maybe some of those things may be a little bit misguided. I don't think our problem isn't that we don't get up early enough. I don't think the problem is, is so much that we don't spend enough minutes in prayer, if you will. I think our problem is that we treat prayer as though prayer is somehow the objective when it's not. I mean, just imagine in any relationship you have here on earth, if, if you have a spouse, you could go at it this way. I mean, imagine your spouse, if you have a, you're going to start a stopwatch each day and we're going to have 20 minutes to have conversation. Okay, when that's over, we're done. How, how, how well would that work for the relationship? How well for that, would that work for true intimacy? If you, you block it out, you schedule it, and you say, now's time, then we're done. Okay, talk, Go. Um, That's not the way relationships work, and yet sometimes we treat our relationship with God as though it fits into that kind of parameters. You see, when we treat prayer like that, prayer, the objective of prayer isn't prayer. It's relationship with a person, relationship and intimacy with our great God. That's the purpose, not to be able to check our prayer box off. Now, we could focus there on prayer much more this morning, but I really want us to see the, the broader picture as well as what's going on in this passage uh, this morning. We see how the disciples react to what Jesus is doing in this passage, right? And we talked to, just two weeks ago, we, we saw this radical call of the disciples, right? And they just leave everything behind and they follow him and, and we're kind of left 
mouth agape, like I don't know that I could ever follow in that kind of radical way, right? And, and we begin to feel guilty. But one of the things I said then was, as we move on in Mark, we're going to see that the disciples struggle. They don't get it, okay? And here we are just a, a few more verses in, and, and the disciples, they don't get it. Do you see what they're doing? Verse 36, what are they doing? They're, <laughs> they searched for him. Now, that word, the, the, the language there in our translation, it, it could be a little bit more bold than that. Uh, often, these same words are, are translated hostile pursuit, okay? So it's not like they're just looking around for him. They're doggedly looking for him. They're hunting him down, okay? The disciples are hunting Jesus down. And if you think back to how our passage last week ended, it might be helpful. In verse 33, we saw that the whole city... The whole city was gathered at the door. Why were they all gathered at the door? To see what Jesus was going to do, to see his wonders and his miracles. And no doubt, it seems everyone may be back. And so this then frames verse 37. What do they say to Jesus when they find him? They say, everyone is looking for you. Here's Jesus is. He's been out spending time with his father. And the disciples, they don't understand. They don't get it. They don't get what he was doing and why he was doing it. And they're basically saying, what are you doing, Jesus? Why are you doing it? This, this doesn't make any sense. You know, think of your favorite um, band, your, your, your favorite singer, whatever, and going to a musical concert or something. Um, for illustration purposes, I'll use U2, okay? U2, famous band. You know, imagine they're, they're, you know, they're playing in one of the big stadiums that they play in. Bono's, of course, the, the lead singer. Imagine all the other acts they've come out and they've played, right? And you've, many, many, most, all of us may have been to concerts like this before. And everything's primed, everything's pumped, everybody's ready. You know, everybody's been warmed up and they're ready for the, for the show. They're ready for the main act. They're ready for U2 to come out. And people back behind the stage, they can't find him. He's nowhere to be found, but it's time to go on. And they end up, they search for him. And they look for him, and they find him a couple of blocks down the street at a coffee shop. He's reading a book, drinking a cup of espresso. Okay? That's, in a way, a picture of what's going on here. Okay? They're doggedly, they, they search out Jesus. They, they, they think that he should, you know, we're ready for the show. Okay? We're ready for the festivities of yesterday to continue. Everybody's there. What are you doing, Jesus? Why are you out here in the wilderness? The disciples' response is incredibly misguided, isn't it? Because they don't get it yet. They, they don't get what Jesus is really there to do. In a sense, they maybe expect that he's there for the fame of the day before. To dazzle the audience to put on a big show, to do these wondrous healings. Now, don't get me wrong. These, these are incredible things that Jesus was doing. They're profound. But that has become the focus. The focus is on the works. The focus is on the things. It's not on Jesus. So what does he do? Verse 38, he says, let's go on to the next towns that I may preach there also, for that is why I came. That is why I came, to preach. And so he goes on throughout all Galilee, preaching in the synagogues, casting out demons, right? And this brings us back to what the, his objective is. The, the, point, the, the point of these miracles were, were to be a sign that point to something bigger and something grander, and people were missing it. 
They were just looking at the sign, and they were missing Jesus, missing who Jesus really was and what he came to do, and were reminded of what Jesus, Mark tells us Jesus' purpose was earlier in verse 14. Jesus, Mark tells us, came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Everybody was focused in on these miracles. They're focused in on these wonders. And what are they missing? They're missing what these miracles pointed to. A broken world that needed healing, that needed a savior, that needed the Messiah, that the appropriate response is faith and repentance, to repent and believe. So a question for us to even think about is we're, we're gathered here today, what are you here for? Are you here today for Jesus and for him only because you know the incredible good news of the gospel, because you know what he did on the cross for you, because you know his blood shed? What is it that you're here for? Are you here because you find your joy totally in him or because you find his joy in all the other things that he has to offer. Are you here this morning, if you will, for Jesus? Are you here for the show? Which is it? Which is it really? To help us think about this a little bit more, we're then, Mark then tells us about the cleansing of a leper. I remember quite a few years ago, a dear friend of mine um, shared a story with me, um, a story about one of his professors in seminary, who had been at some point, I guess, a chaplain in a hospital back in like the early 80s. And as he was going through the hospital, he noticed this one, this one room that had all these signs up all over it, all these warning signs. And he didn't quite know what, he's, so he went over and he asked the nurses, what's going on here? What, why are, what are all these signs about? And they said, he has AIDS. Um, and at that point, of course, nobody knew what caused it, what the, you know, you know, how you got it, all those things. There was much confusion. Could you get it just through the air? Could you get it through touch? What was it? And he did the unthinkable. He went into the room as a chaplain. You know, he went in there to pray with the man. And then even taking it a step farther as he prayed with the man, he reached over and he placed his hand upon him as he prayed. He did something that at that point in time was unthinkable. No, you... You don't do that, right? You might get it. You, you might catch it. Just um, about um, two months or so ago, there was an article in Christianity Today that was talking a little bit about a little thought experience, thinking about what we're, quite frankly, currently going through um, with COVID-related stuff. And this is what it said. Imagine that you're offered a fresh glass of orange juice, but just before you're handed it, the experimenter drops a roach into the glass of orange juice, swirls it around a little. I know, I'm sorry, roaches. Look, y'all don't know what roaches are like. I'm from the south. You know, they, they can like carry houses away and stuff down there. Anyway, imagine dropping it in there, swirling it around, then taking it back out and saying, hey, here, here's the juice. Who would drink it? Not a, not, nobody would, right? You're not going to drink that. Wow. I don't know what to say. Now imagine that the experimenter takes that same glass of juice, runs it through a filter to clean, you know, that's used to clean tap water, right? Boils it, sterilizes it, filters it through again. If you're like most people, would you drink it now? 
No, most people in the experiment wouldn't, still wouldn't drink it. They still wouldn't drink it, even though intellectually you know that it's clean, right? It's probably more clean than it was to begin with. Yet because of some mental block, you, you can't do it. You intellectually, you know that the juice is clean, but there's like this visceral reason that you just can't do it. And this, is, this instinctual reaction is what psychologists call disgust. Disgust, okay? Um, and this response is referred to as con- contamination psychology. And when it comes to disgust, our, our reason, our brains, and this contamination psychology, they can be at odds with one another. We know it's clean, but we don't drink it because of this incredible disgust that we have. Now imagine that the issue isn't one of juices and roaches, but of an unseen virus in contact with those who may or may not be carrying the virus. What if this virus is possibly deadly? Would you be willing to come into contact with these people, shake their hands, or attend a worship service with them? This was written back in the earlier days of of COVID where there was much more fear. There's still appropriate amount of fear, I think, sometimes more, sometimes too little. There's a reason why we ask that everyone wear masks when, when they're in here. Um, but at the same time, this isn't nearly as severe as like in the early day of AIDS and not knowing how, they, how you got it. Or as we look at this passage this morning, this man with leprosy, okay? Whenever people saw this man, he was treated with disgust. They wanted nothing to do with him. They didn't want to get near him. Not a, they were afraid to catch his leprosy, number one. And number two, they knew if they actually did come into contact with them, they would be made unclean. Can you imagine being this man? And to help us understand a little bit more, I want to read just a little bit from Leviticus that tells us a little bit about what this gentleman would need to do. The leprous person, um, we're told, who has the disease, shall wear torn clothes and let the hair of his head hang loose. He shall cover his upper lip and cry out, unclean! unclean. He shall remain unclean as long as he has the disease. He is unclean. He shall live alone. His dwelling shall be outside the camp. Can you imagine the life of this man? Everybody totally disgusted with him, in a sense, in the sense we were talking about a moment ago, not wanting to be near him, having to walk around saying, unclean, unclean. Even an accidental encounter with him could make somebody unclean. He lived a life, the life of an exile, having to live live outside the camp, right? Having to live, in a sense, in that desolate place, the, the wilderness places. No contact with others. No real meaningful contact with his family, having to live apart from them. People see you coming and and they go to the other side of the street or more precisely, if you had leprosy, you were the person to go to the other side of the street. You're allowed to go to synagogue. You're allowed to go to the synagogue. But you have to be the first one in, the last one out. You got to remain back behind a screen, don't have any sort of interaction with anybody. This was the life of this leprous man. A man who... Thus was living a life, in a sense, without hope. The, the rabbis of, of the day would say this, that, that the cure of a leper was as difficult as raising a person from the dead. It seemed impossible. 
Seems like it's not anything within the realm of possibility. And so this man walked around without hope. Can you imagine the tremendous shame that he must have carried with him? Okay, we we all carry shame. But can you imagine the way that it must have been multiplied in this, this guy who couldn't even have any sort of genuine interaction with other humans? Outcast, living outside the camp. And he, so he comes to Jesus, verse 40. And he says, if you will, you can make me clean. If you will, you can make me clean. Isn't it interesting what he, what he asked for? He doesn't say, Jesus, will you heal me? He says, Jesus, will you make me clean? He wants to be healed, no doubt. But this is different than just the lame person who hasn't been able to walk since birth. There's something more that he wants healing from. Because he doesn't just want healing from the physical malady. He also wants healing from the stigma. He wants healing from that stigma, that that, that disgust that everybody has when they see him. That they go as far away and stay as far away from him as possible. That uncleanliness. He wanted not just to be physically healed. He wanted his whole life, all aspects of it, in a sense, to be healed. He wanted to be a real person, again, interacting with people. And Jesus sees this, verse 41, what is his response? We see that he is moved with pity. And now many commentators agree with this. The language there might better be, instead of moved with pity, moved with anger. That Jesus is moved with anger. Regardless, his response is a big response to it. Why would he be angry? He's not angry at the man. He's angry at the whole of what this world, this fallen world that is around him. The way in which this world has been ravaged by disease and sin and death. The way that this poor man has been treated as an outcast. The shame that he's had to endure. That stirs this deep emotion in Jesus. And we we see here Jesus' heart for the broken world, don't we? A heart for the broken world that doesn't just stop there, but leads him all the way to the cross. To shedding his blood so that the unclean, all of us, so that the unclean can be made clean. He gave everything to heal this broken world. And so what does he do? Verse four, back to verse 41. He, he stretches out his hand. And he does the unthinkable, kind of like that, sem, that, that, that seminary professor from years ago. He reached out and he touched this man. It's unthinkable. You don't do that. To touch the unclean is to what? To make yourself unclean. And yet Jesus' compassion, his heart for this broken man in front of him is so great that he reaches out and touches him probably the first time in who knows how long this man has experienced physical touch of any sort. He reaches out and he touches him and he says, I will be clean. And immediately... Immediately, the leprosy left him, 
and he was made clean. Right then, right there. It was all done. And here we see in this healing an incredible visual picture, a sign, if you will, a signpost of what Jesus came to do. It's a sign of the way in which he came into the world to identify with all that's broken in this world, even reaching out and touching the broken things in this world, touching that which is unclean, so that he could begin undoing all that is wrong in this world. Okay? And he undid, in a sense, the uncleanliness of this man, and he, he made him clean. Now this is where we think, okay, it's time to celebrate. It's time to jump up and down at this incredible miracle that's taken place. But our passage kind of takes a strange shift in some ways. Verse 43, Jesus sternly charged him and he sent him away at once. We see a sense of it there, sternly charged him. It's almost a scolding approach and he, he sends him away. He drove him away. What is going on here? Jesus, who had such incredible compassion on him, why, why is he charging this man so sternly? I think it's probably because he knows what's happening next. He knows exactly what this leper is going to do. He's, Jesus is about to command him to do something. He knows that the leper's not going to listen to what he says. So he sternly commands him. And, and what are those commands? Let's look at verse 44. See, he says, that you say nothing to anyone. Okay? See, you say nothing to anyone, number one. And then two, but go and show yourself to the priest and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded for a proof to them. So let's take that second one first. What does he tell him to do? He says, go to the priest. Now, the man was already clean, Right? There wasn't, in, a, in that sense, anything more to be done. The malady was gone. He'd been declared clean. We already read that in the passage. But there's a sense in which in order to be reintroduced into society, he needed to be certified unclean, or certified clean. Okay? There was a process prescribed for that in the law. And so Jesus, coming not to do away with the law, but to fulfill it, he tells the man to go. Go let them certify you as unclean so that you can be reintroduced to society. So that you can go back home, be with your family and your friends. Enjoy relationship with one another. But then there was the first thing that he also commanded him to do. See that you say nothing to anyone. Why this command? It seems strange. I think we see the reason in the response, into what happens. If you look at the end of verse 45, we see the reason why Jesus told him this. Because what happens, Jesus could no longer openly enter a town, but was out in the desolate places, out in the wilderness places, and people were coming to him from every quarter. Okay? He knew that it would attract people to the show. He knew that, that if this man went and he, he shouted it from the rooftops, which he did, everybody was going to come out to see the wonders, to see the miracles, and they were going to miss Jesus. Do you go to Jesus 
for the wonders and miss him. I think back to our discussion earlier about prayer. How often in prayer are you focused on him and relationship with him? And how often do you, for instance, in prayer, go to him for the show? Do you know what I mean? You're going to him with your list. The wonders that you want him to accomplish. It's not bad. In fact, we're called, commanded to to bring those intercessions before him. But do we do that in such a way that sometimes misses Jesus? That misses relationship, that misses intimacy with him? So what happens in our passage? What is the man going to do? In a sense, we've already said what he's going to do, but we, let's read it, verse 45. <laughs> the man's been commanded. Don't share it with anybody. What does he do? He went out and began to freely talk about it freely and to spread the news. Okay? Literally, he, he begins to, to preach and spread the word, but it's the wrong word. Okay? And Jesus knew that this would be the case. He's preaching news, but not the good news, not the gospel. You see, the news that he had to bring out was, hey, I've been healed, this incredible thing, this miracle worker is among us. But it was missing the good news that that miracle stood for, that the King has come, that the Messiah has come, the promised one has come, so repent and believe and trust in him of what he has come to do, that he has come to make everything that's wrong in this world right again. And that was missed as the man went out. Now, as we look at this guy, some of you might say, well, we shouldn't be too hard on this guy, right? I mean, he's, he's been a leper who knows how long, how long it's been since he's been able to have genuine relationship with, with other people. And he's just been healed. He's been made cleansed. This incredible miracle has happened. So shouldn't we give him a break? I mean, and he's, he's trying to spread the news about Jesus, right? Shouldn't we give him a break? No, I don't think so. Not at all. Jesus had commanded him to do something. Jesus told him to do something. And the very thing, after cleansing him, after healing him, the, the very thing that Jesus told him not to do is the thing that he immediately goes and does. He's a disobedient man. He's, he's being selfish, refusing to listen to and obey Jesus, the one who had just healed him. You see, he thought he had Jesus figured out, just like the disciples did when they, they went to go get Jesus. What are you doing, Jesus? They didn't comprehend who it really is that's before them, and, and what this Jesus really came to do, and how he was coming not just to undo these physical maladies, but that those things were a symbolism of something much greater, of his path to the cross, to make those of us, to make us who in our sins are unclean. The wages of sin is death. That's the wages of our uncleanliness. And, and, and Jesus comes in 
through His blood on the cross, and He makes us clean. And Jesus was trying to point him to the real reason that He had come. That's why He wanted to continue preaching the gospel. And so many people were, they didn't get it. And that's what we see as we're beginning in the book of Mark. You know, here is Jesus, He's on the scene, and people don't get it. His disciples don't get it. The leper in this passage doesn't get it. Now, do you and I, do we really need to go that far to identify with this man? You and I, we've, if we're in Christ, if we've repented and believed as, as we're called to do in the gospel, we who were once unclean have been made clean, right? We, we gather together regularly on Sunday mornings and are reminded of what Jesus has done for us, the incredible good news of the gospel. Maybe we, we read about that and are reminded of that during the week, through our time in the Word, of what Jesus has done for us, this good news of the gospel. And how often do you and I go about devising our better plans? Isn't that what this man did? He thought, but I have a better plan. Clearly Jesus didn't quite understand. Everybody needs to know. No, Jesus fully understood. It's so easy for us. We're, We're so tempted to devise our better plans, aren't we? We do it regularly. We do it daily. You know, we're, we're gathered here this morning being reminded of the good news, and what are we going to do as we go out from here today? How long are we going to make it before we devise our better plans? Jesus has called us, he, and He said, I've called you, I've made you clean. Now I want you to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. At what point today are we going to choose even to that we're going to choose that we have a better plan. Choose that we know better and live our life in a different way. And it, re- and it seems like so often our life is on repeat, isn't it? And we go through that cycle. And we repent and believe again as we are drawn back by the good news and the reminder of what we're reminded of this morning. And I, and I hope that as we've looked at this leper, I hope you've also seen or noticed the incredible exchange that takes place here, Right? See, whenever Jesus reaches out, when he touches this man, what do you expect to happen? What always happened? What happened every single time up until that moment in history? Whenever somebody who was clean touched somebody who was unclean, what happened? They were made unclean. That's how it worked. But in this moment, the incredible happens. Instead of Jesus being made unclean, he makes the the unclean man clean. It's incredible. It's astounding. Never before. And it takes place right here with Jesus. And you and I, we, we, we get that benefit too, right? Through Jesus, through what He's accomplished, through the cross, we have been made, as we've said, clean. We who are unclean have been made clean. And the, the, the Holy One, the clean one, has made that which is unclean, clean. He's made sinners righteous. It's incredible. It's astounding. But the exchange that takes place with the leper, it doesn't end there either. Did you notice where Jesus ends up as a result of this? Be reminded back to to the passage that we quoted from Leviticus from earlier. Where where was this man? Where did this man have to live? He had to live outside the camp. 
He had to live, if you will, out in the wilderness places. He, he couldn't come into town like anyone else. He couldn't live there. He had to live outside. He had to live in the wilderness places. And what do we see as our passage concludes? Where is Jesus forced to go? But he, into verse 45, but was out in desolate places, out in the wilderness places. Okay? Jesus was forced to retreat to the wilderness, not just to pray, but to do his ministry. And you know the wonders of that picture? Where, is, where was the leper now? The leper was back in the city. They exchanged places. It's incredible when you begin to think of it, that Jesus then has to go on and do his ministry out in the wilderness places. And this man, he gets to continue living in the city. Because here's the deal, and I hope you get this. The man was cleansed. He was made clean. He immediately, it seems like almost as immediately as he was cleansed, he disobeys. That's kind of the, the rapid nature of Mark. But you know what didn't happen? You know, you, you know what happened there, right, though? He disobeyed, but he remained clean. The leprosy, we aren't told, it, it doesn't suddenly come back. He disobeys, but he's still clean. And that's good news for us today, isn't it? As we think about how, in some ways, we, we, we follow a similar pattern. We're reminded of the good news. We're reminded of what Jesus has done for us, how he has made us clean. And then we go out and say, yeah, but I got a better way. I know better than you do, Jesus. How long are we going to make it into our day today? But the incredible good news of the gospel is that if we are in Christ, if we have truly repented and believed, we are clean right now. We've been washed by the blood of Jesus. He has made us clean. You, did you catch our call to worship this morning? So Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his blood. The wonder of what Jesus has done. And you and I, this afternoon, in an hour, in five minutes, however long it takes us, will still be clean. That's the wonder of the gospel. And that shouldn't be something that then gives us license to sin. Oh, well, I'm still clean, so I can do whatever I want. No. It should drive us back to the cross, drive us back to what Jesus has done. It should be, and hopefully this morning is, but a bit, of, bit more of encouragement that draws us closer to Jesus, that helps us to look maybe even just a little bit more like him as the scales of our sin fall off just a little bit more and we look just a little bit more like our Savior as we are reminded yet again of how he has made us clean and what incredibly good news that is for us as we go out into this day and the rest of this week. Do you believe it? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the reminder of the way you have cleansed us. The act that you've done. <laughs> An act that's not dependent on us. 
And we're so thankful. We're so thankful that you have reached out. That you have touched us. Making we who were once unclean, clean. Through the blood of your son. Would that be an encouragement to us as we go into this week? Might we focus on the wonders of the gospel and not the show? Might our focus be on our relationship with you, finding ultimately our joy in our Savior, not in his wonders, but in him? Draw us nearer to you, we pray. In the matchless name of Jesus Christ, amen. Would you stand with me now as we hear our benediction, our blessing as we go forth into this week?